Let us pray. Our great God in heaven, You are our Creator, the only wise God, who made all things by the word of Your power in the space of six days. Our eyes behold Your power and wisdom all around us in the things You have made. You made man upright, O Lord, but we turned away from You to worship idols. We bent and twisted Your world, and so You imposed the curse of death upon us. But in Your unfathomable love, in grace, You chose to redeem. And You spared no expense, shedding even the blood of Your dearly beloved Son to pay our debts and to claim us as a bride for Him, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in Him we are clean. We are washed whiter than snow. We are forgiven. We are free of guilt and shame. Fully accepted by You as dearly beloved and adopted children. Today, O Lord, fill us with Your Spirit. Pour out Your Spirit upon us through Your Son. Fill us with grace and love. Multiply Your Word in our lives. It's it's fruits. It's effects. Quench our thirst and satisfy our hungers through Your gift at this table. The gift of Christ Jesus. His body and blood. We thank You, O Lord, that we can come before You in prayer, that we can come before You in worship as Your people. Indeed, that we can be lifted up into the heavens and meet You in Your heavenly sanctuary. Lift us up today, Lord, that we may participate in Your worship with angels and archangels and the spirits of just men made perfect. All this we pray through Christ Jesus, His strong and precious name. Amen. Our lesson of the day comes from Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 6. Listen carefully to God's Word. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says Yahweh of armies. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says Yahweh of armies, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says Yahweh of armies. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight says Yahweh of armies. And there ends our reading. This is the Word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You that You promised to bless the reading and preaching of Your Word by the power of Your Holy Spirit. Help us to tremble before Your Word. Give us faith to trust You and to obey You in all that You command of us. And fill us with the joy of obedience. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. 
John Wesley once said, when the possessor of heaven and earth brought you into being and placed you in the world, he placed you here not as owner, but as steward. That statement serves as an excellent summary of the Bible's teaching on money, possessions, and even the the whole meaning of life. That statement encapsulates, crystallizes for us what it means to be a creature if we are indeed the creature, the creation, the creatures made by an all-powerful God, we are by definition not in charge. We are by definition stewards made in God's image. We have been given uh, authority and dominion over the things that God has made. But this is a derivative authority. It is a delegated dominion. We are subjects. We answer to God. We do not answer. We are not the supreme authority. We have been created by a gracious Creator who has entrusted all of us with innumerable gifts that must be used for His glory and should be enjoyed according to His will and His design. Now, if you haven't noticed, our culture is drowning in materialism, consumerism, greed, entitlement, all manner of problems because we have failed to grasp this central truth, this foundational truth of what it means to live as creatures and stewards in God's world. And so the the message of Malachi chapter 3, the message of Jesus that we heard from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, totally cuts against our sensibilities and our desires and popular wisdom. We need to hear this word of warning. We need this reminder of what it means to faithfully and humbly submit to our Lord and also to be reminded of the many blessings that accompany faithful and obedient stewardship of which tithing is an essential component. Now, I understand that there are faithful Christians who do not believe that the church is obligated to give the tithe. You can't escape the fact that Christians are commanded to give generously, but some would argue that the church is not under the old covenant tithe of 10%. I'm not going to try to argue or defend the position that the church is still obligated to a minimum 10% tithe, on top of which offerings, free will offerings, are are, uh, encouraged by the New Testament. Um, There are good resources out there that make that case. I don't have uh, time to do that this morning. And actually, Rich has uh, written a very helpful article on tithing that you can find on, on the church's website that uh, explain some of the arguments in summary form. But what we see when we look at the New Testament is not teaching that the tithe has been abolished, but the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles, 
seem to assume that tithing is the baseline minimum for the new covenant people of God and that our giving should far exceed a 10% tithe, but that the tithe is the starting point for obedience, not uh, the end goal, not uh, the sign of perfection, but the sign of initial obedience. And giving over and above that 10% as you are led, as you as God provides, is not contradictory to the idea of giving uh, a minimum 10% baseline. So I'm not going to, uh, to try to flesh all that out because I want to focus on the passage here in Malachi that lays out for us three basic uh, topics that can be uh, broken down in sort of a logical sequence. Malachi is confronting the people of Israel because of their sin of withholding the tithe from the Lord. The problem is that they are suffering under the curse of God because of their failure to tithe. The second part that we'll look at is that Malachi, the Lord through Malachi, then calls the people to repentance. And we'll look at what that, what form that repentance takes. And then finally, God promises some incredible blessings that accompany repentance and that accompany obedience. And we need to be reminded not only uh, of the gravity of the sin, but also of the blessings of repentance and obedience. So I'm going to start by focusing on the problem as Malachi describes it. The primary problem... As we've seen, the book of Malachi is addressed mainly to the priests and the people of Israel in matters regarding worship. So it should be no surprise to us to us that tithing becomes an important uh, topic that is brought up. Earlier in the book of Malachi, in the, the section that corresponds to this one, the second section in the book, it's all about the people of God, the priests, bringing defiled sacrifices to offer to the Lord. Here, it's not about the animals that they're bringing being defiled. It's about the tithe, the work of their hands being inadequate or not even given at all. The, pro the primary problem then is that the people are refusing to tithe. They are rebelling against their Lord and as a result, they're experiencing God's covenant curse. That's what the Lord says in verse 9. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Deuteronomy 28, uh, after Moses has recounted the, the law for the people of Israel as they prepare to enter into the promised land, and he's told them, this is how you're supposed to live once you enter the land of Canaan that God is giving to you. Deuteronomy 28 lays out all these blessings. If you keep covenant, if you obey my word, if you keep my commandments, you will be blessed in the city and in the field. You'll be blessed when you come and when you go. Everything you do will be blessed. Your crops will be blessed. Your, your children will be blessed. Your wives will be blessed. Your wife will be blessed with children. You'll be fruitful. You'll be abundant. Uh, you'll have everything. God will protect you. you will, he will watch over you. You will experience 
the blessing of the Lord that comes with obedience. But then the second half of Deuteronomy 28 basically says, but if you do not keep covenant with me, then you can expect the opposite of all those blessings. God will put a curse upon you and nothing you do will succeed. Everything you do will be frustrated. You won't have crops. You won't have rain. You'll have pestilence. You'll have uh, all sorts of enemies attacking you. It's, It's a very bleak picture. And then he says, you choose. Choose life. Choose life, right? I've put before you blessings and cursing today. Now choose life. Choose obedience. In the book of Malachi, we see that they are experiencing some aspects of those curses. In chapter 1, the worshipers who were trying to cheat God with defective sacrifices are cursed. Those who try to cheat God in their worship were cursed. In the second chapter, the priests who refused to fear the Lord and who were leading the people astray were cursed. And now in chapter 3, God says that the whole nation is experiencing the curse of God because of their failure to tithe. We may think of tithing as a strictly private, individual matter. Nobody knows exactly how much you make except for you and the government. Well, maybe. Maybe not the government. Um, They might know soon. But maybe you don't report it all. I don't know. Uh, nobody knows how much you make except for you and God. And so tithing seems like a very personal, individual thing. After all, Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't make a big deal about your giving. And that's, that's right. We should not make a show of our giving. We should not advertise and uh, pat ourselves on the back so that everyone knows how how uh, generous we are. But the point is that tithing, even though it may be uh, private in a sense, tithing has corporate ramifications. It has ramifications for the community, for the nation, for the whole people of God. And we'll see uh, how that is working itself out in just a minute. The indictment then is that they are They are withholding the tithe. And Malachi calls this, the Lord calls this robbing God. Verse 9, Will a man man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. Psalm 50 reminds us that everything in the world belongs to God. Everything. However, the tithe belongs to God in a special way. Because the Lord entrusts us with many good things. He gives us stewardship over many things that He has made, many of His good gifts. But we are commanded to return a tithe of our increase to the Lord. The tithe belongs to God uniquely. And so, to refuse to surrender the tithe to the Lord is robbery. Attempted robbery, we could say. You can't successfully rob God, right? But it's attempted robbery at least because it belongs to Him. He demands it. He requires it. 
Notice here that the Lord says, will man rob God? The word there, man, is the word Adam. And this emphasizes the absurdity of man, the creature made from dirt that God made. God made the dirt, and then He made man out of the dirt, and then He gave us stewardship over everything else that He made. And so how absurd is it that man would seek to withhold from God what is rightfully His? How absurd is it? What kind of arrogance and rebellion is involved in man attempting to keep that which is not even His? Notice too the covenantal language in verse back in verse six six and seven. The Lord addresses the people here as the sons of Jacob, and he calls to mind the covenant with the patriarchs and with uh, Moses. He says, "From the days of your fathers, you have you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them." This, I think this language should trigger us to remember the uh, examples of tithing that we see uh, in the patriarchs. Even before tithing was in, uh, instituted in the law of Moses, we see the patriarchs tithing to the Lord. And I think this is one uh, really powerful argument for why tithing is not uh, abolished in the New Covenant. It's a little more complicated than just an open and shut case based on these examples. But back in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 14, we see Abraham tithing. Uh, remember, if you remember, there's this uh, these kings uh, ally together and they uh, they capture Lot, Abraham's nephew. They take Lot away with them uh, as uh, part of their conquest of these other kings and. Abraham uh, musters the 300-some men of his household to go and rescue Lot from Chedorlaomer and these other kings. And the Lord gives Abraham the victory and he defeats these kings. He rescues Lot. He takes plunder. And on his way back, a priest of uh, named Melchizedek a priest of God Most High comes out and gives Abraham bread and wine and Abraham pays tithes to Melchizedek. He tithes 10% of the spoils of his conquest to this priest of God who gives him bread and wine. Then the second instance of tithing that we see in the Bible is Jacob. Abraham's grandson. As he's fleeing the land, he's fleeing his brother Esau, he's going to stay with his uncle Laban. Jacob uh, has the, the, dream, the vision where he lays, he sleeps on a rock, and at night he has a vision. And what does he see? He sees the, uh, the heaven, he sees a stairway to heaven. He sees a ladder to heaven with angels ascending and descending. And God re reiterates the promise, the covenant with Abraham and says that I will bless you. I will make you great. I will be with you. I will provide for you. 
and I will watch over you until you come back uh, to the land. And what does Jacob do when he awakes? After God has, has promised him all this abundant blessing, Jacob promises, he vows, to tithe on all that the Lord blesses him with. Now, unless we think that, uh, lest we think that tithing is a way to purchase God's blessings, these stories and other passages in Scripture remind us that tithing is not a, a way to, to bribe God. Tithing, rather, is a response of gratitude to the blessings that God has already given you. Abraham had already received the plunder uh, from the battle, and then he tithed it as, a, as an act of thanksgiving, an act of gratitude. God had already promised to give Jacob all these blessings and to prosper him, and then Jacob vows to tithe in response. God gives and we respond with thanksgiving. It's an act of stewardship to give God a small portion of His gifts in faith that God will continue to provide and continue to bless us. Just like the patriarchs, Israel was commanded to tithe the produce of the land of Canaan that God was giving to them. They were commanded to tithe on the increase of everything that God gave them. And so because God is the creator of all things, the giver of every good gift, this magnifies uh, the grievousness of the sin of withholding God's tithe. It's, it's sheer arrogance and ingratitude and unbelief to withhold the small portion of God's gifts that He requires of us as an act of thanksgiving and an act of humble obedience and faith. And so while failure to tithe is condemned in the strongest language, robbing God, God mercifully provides an opportunity to repentance. The Lord opens this section by saying, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. It is the Lord's unchanging faithfulness that calls us to repent and to change and to amend our ways. It is the Lord's unchanging faithfulness that promises to bless us for our obedience if we will but submit to God. It is the, it is the unchanging mercy of God that grants us faith to repent and to return to God when we have sinned. But this repentance is not just a, a feeling sorry. There are specific actions that we must take in repentance. And in this case, in the failure to tithe, the Lord prescribes specific Actions for repentance. There are imperatives here. The first one says, return to me. That's the basic call to repentance. Return to me and I will return to you. Humble yourself and submit to my will, to my lordship, and I 
will return to you. And the, the more specific way that that repentance, that returning to the Lord, uh, the more specific form that that repentance takes is to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. In verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Tithing here is the primary form, the shape of repentance. Now, the whole book of Malachi indicates that tithing is only one of the many sins the people needed to repent of. But here in Malachi, as in many other prophetic books, tithing is viewed as a hallmark of repentance. If you look at the various revivals throughout the Old Covenant, whenever a a righteous king would come into power after there had been a string of evil kings, one of the things that is specifically mentioned as part of his reform is the restoration of tithing. It's a national, uh, communal form of repentance. An act of submission to God's authority in a very tangible way. Tithing, thus, is usually, not in every case, but is usually a reliable indicator of spiritual health and covenant faithfulness. Jesus summarized this well in the Sermon on the Mount. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can tell a lot about your life if you take a look at your checkbook or your credit card statement or however it is that you track your finances. If you look at where your money is going, that is a pretty good indication of where your allegiances are, where your priorities are. And so tithing is singled out here as an essential element of repentance. Obedience in tithing is a sign, one sign, not the only sign, but is an important sign of submission to God's Lordship and faith in His promises. Because tithing makes you put your money where your mouth is in a way that other forms of repentance do not. However, the, the Pharisees were, uh, were guilty of thinking that because they tithed, that they were okay, that everything was good, that they, had, they were immune to any other form of sin. And so Jesus actually commended the Pharisees for tithing. One of the things that Jesus commended the Pharisees for was tithing but he blasted them because they had sacrificed all the other parts of the law, mercy, justice, faithfulness, and thought that tithing covered all of those things. But it does not. It is not an automatic safeguard against other sins of hypocrisy and self-righteousness. So the Lord commands the people to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. The whole tithe. What is the whole tithe? Tithe literally means 10%. It's 10% of your profit. Not your capital. 10% of your increase that the Lord requires. That's 
the whole tithe. If you think about it, a partial tithe is not a tithe at all. Tithing, by definition, is 10%. And so a partial tithe is a contradiction in terms. And where does the Lord require that we bring our tithe? Into the storehouse uh, that is called my house later in the sentence. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. The storehouse was a room in the temple complex. The temple complex had a number of, of rooms besides the actual temple sanctuary itself, and the various rooms would be used to store the valuables, the, the food products, the, the different things that people brought when they would bring their tithes and offerings and gifts to God. And if we look back to the stories in the uh, Old Testament about tithing, I think they give us uh, even further support uh, for seeing uh, this commandment to bring the tithe into the storehouse as a command for us that the tithe is for the church. Think about Abraham. Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. He was a priest uh, of, the, of God Most High. He's sort of a mysterious figure uh, in the Old Covenant. But Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, picks up the idea of the priesthood of Melchizedek and says that Jesus is a priest not in the order of the Levitical system, but in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is the one who gave Abraham bread and wine. And so a simple um, parallel would be that you pay your tithe to the priest who gives you bread and wine. That would be here, right? That would be the church. Uh, not, I mean, there are a lot of good organizations out there that are worthy of support uh, and, and offerings, but the tithe, the 10% that God requires, is to be given to the church, the place where you come to receive God's bread and wine. Similarly, Jacob had a vision where he saw the stairway to heaven with angels ascending and descending. And in John chapter 1, Jesus says that He is the stairway to heaven. He is uh, the, the bridge, so to speak, connecting heaven and earth. And so, where should we pay our tithes? Wherever we come to meet with Jesus and ascend into heaven. That would be, obviously, again, the church. And so, the way the people are called to repent is to give the full tithe, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. This is the call of repentance. And it is not God's rebuke, God's call to repentance is never a sign of His hatred, but it's always a sign of His love. Remember, this whole section is couched in covenantal terms, in reminders of God's unchanging faithfulness. God's call to repentance, God's rebuke, is always a sign of His love. So when we've been caught red-handed in our sin and God 
calls us to repentance, it is His mercy. It is His unchanging faithfulness that calls us to repent of our sins, to confess our sins, and to live in accordance with His will. But here's the, here's the real amazing part that we're going to look at here at the end of this section. God promises that repentance is not merely going to make us eligible for a lighter sentence. We sometimes think that um, God's angry with us and if we, if we repent, then that just means He won't be quite as angry with us as He was. Maybe He'll let up just a little bit. But Malachi here shows us, as we see throughout the rest of Scripture, that repentance is met with great blessing and restoration. God promises not to just lighten the punishment a little bit, but to actually reverse the curses and to turn those curses into blessing. And so, here in Scripture, we have this incredible, this incredible mm-hmm. command. The commands to repentance are... Return to me and I will return to you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And then there's another imperative. Test me in this. Test me in this. This is part of repentance. If you really, really are repentant, you will test me in this. This is one of the few instances in Scripture where God double dog dares us to take Him at His word. I dare you to take me at my word. Test me in this. Now this does not mean that we should treat God as the great vending machine in the sky who dispenses just the blessing we want whenever we pull the right lever. No, this is a call to act in courageous faith even when God's commandments, even when God's will goes against all of our human wisdom. The irony of stinginess is that a clenched fist that refuses to give give God his, His tithe will not be able to receive the good gifts that God has promised to pour out on His people when we act in faithful obedience. When we try to keep our hoard, our meager resources, we are forfeiting the abundant blessings that God has promised to provide. And so the saying might be cliche, but it's true. We can't afford not to tithe. Because tithing is not just a duty commanded by God. It is a source of great blessing. The Lord says, test me in this and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of the light, says the Lord of hosts. All of these promises 
Five times the Lord says, for you, for you, I will do this for you. I will do this for you. These, these are for you, plural. These are national, corporate blessings that the Lord is promising to the people. And these blessings described are the exact opposite of the curses that they are experiencing. The curses described in the law. And even though they speak in agricultural terms, primarily, they should be understood as a blessing on every aspect of life as a society. The blessings of God range from very private, or not private, but individual blessings to blessing with such a wide scope it's hard to even fathom. Let's consider some of the blessings that come with tithing. Not all of these are listed here, but I think you can extrapolate from this passage some of these blessings that accompany tithing. Tithing is one of the most important ways that we show our gratitude to God for His gift. It's an act of obedient submission and a testimony to God's faithfulness. The Lord has promised that He will bless the humble, but resist the proud. Tithing is is an act of faith. It's an act of submission. It's an act of humility, submitting to God's Lordship. And the Lord has promised to bless that kind of action. Tithing is a great blessing to the tither. Tithing strengthens our faith. It teaches us discipline and stewardship. Tithing cultivates a spirit of gratitude and generosity within us. Tithing reorients our affections and desires and brings them in line with God's Word. But tithing is also a great blessing to society, especially the poor and needy. Throughout Scripture, as we heard in uh, our lesson from Deuteronomy and throughout uh, the Old Testament, tithes and offerings are always given to the to the church, to the to the leaders of the community in the Old Testament, to provide for the welfare of not only the ministers, but also and the worship of God, but also for the poor and the needy and the vulnerable. And even in the context of Malachi chapter three, verse five gives a list of the the people, the sins that God is coming to to judge. And there are social sins. There is injustice in the nation of Israel that is most likely linked to the failure to tithe. God promises to be a swift witness against sorcerers, adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and against those who thrust aside the sojourner. Those kinds of actions spring out of a heart that fundamentally refuses to submit to God's lordship and recognize that we are but His stewards. Tithing is the one of the primary ways that we... Uh, that we remediate, that we prevent those types of social injustices. And so the tithe, the blessings of tithing are corporate and societal. 
nationwide. In direct contrast, God promises to bless His repentant people. He has cursed them with a curse, the whole nation, because they are refusing to tithe. But the blessings that God promises are even greater than the curses. He promises to bless the labors of those who obediently and joyfully tithe so that there will be more than enough to share with those in need. This phrase, the windows of heaven, opening the windows of heaven, should ring a bell. Another Genesis connection here. The windows of heaven. When else did God open the windows of heaven? He opened the windows of heaven when He was pouring out the rain on the earth to flood the entire world. The windows of heaven were opened when Noah was in the ark and the whole entire world was covered in water. The windows of heaven speak of a global deluge. And that is the scope of God's blessing that He promises when His people will tithe as He has commanded us. Can you imagine what it would be like if every person, let's just say every Christian, let's just start there. Can you imagine what it would be like if every Christian in the United States tithed on their income? Think about what that would do to our society. What would our society be like if God's people tithed obediently? What if the church was able to put the nanny state out of business? What if the church recovered her place in society as the center of assistance for the poor and the needy and the vulnerable? What if the church had the means to send, to, to perform all manner of mercy and, and care for the poor? It would transform our society. It would shock the world. This is not unheard of. This has happened throughout church history. And indeed, this is what God has promised will happen. Notice the last part of this section, verse 12. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight. The vision of cultural transformation that I've just described sounds completely impossible. But God promises us even greater blessings than just to transform our society and our culture. God promises that if His church will tithe obediently and give generously, that His blessings will be global, not just national in scope. And so we see here finally that tithing is essential to the mission of the church in discipling the nations. Right? That's what we believe. We talk about the Great Commission. Discipling the nations. Well, one important aspect of that mission, of our mission as the church, as the people of God, is tithing. 
God promises that not only that He will pour out these blessings and act on behalf of His people, but that all the nations will pronounce a blessing on His faithful people. When God's people live in obedience and experience God's provision and blessing, the nations will take notice. And they will, as promised by Isaiah in the book of Revelation, they will want to come. They will want to see. They will bring their wealth into the kingdom of God. The season of Epiphany is about uh, the, the nations coming, the, represented by the, the Magi who came and brought their gifts and worship to the Lord. And that is the picture that we are promised by the prophets and in the book of Revelation. That the nations will be drawn to our light. And what better light? What light would be more noticeable to a world in chaos and in divided by hatred and injustice than a society characterized by generosity, hospitality, and care for the vulnerable and the oppressed. The language here, again, is agricultural. The blessings will be upon the fruit of the ground and the vine of the field and the land be called a land of delight. But these, the, these are all symbolic. These are representative blessings that speak of the entire nation. The entire society will experience blessing and abundance under the Lord's grace. If you read the book of Acts, you will see this very kind of thing in action. The pages, it's no accident, it's no accident that the early chapters of Acts are filled with descriptions of sacrificial giving and also, almost uh, in the same thought, record the exponential growth of the church. The disciples shared everything together in common. They gave generously to the needs of one another so that nobody lacked anything And the church grew by thousands and thousands and thousands. And the Lord continued to add to their number. And all the priests and all, you know, all these people were were coming into the church. This is not an accident. Uh, You you even have other stories uh, of this in the uh, time, the centuries following the early church, when Roman emperors would write to their own pagan priests in the imperial cult and they would say, guys, you got to get your act together. These Christians are eating our lunch. Emperor Julian in the 4th century sent a letter to one of his pagan priests and said, the Christians are killing us. They are caring not only for their own people, they're caring for our people too. we got to get our act together and try to figure out you know, what, what we can do. These Christians and their generosity, this is, uh, man, they're, they're just killing us. Right? The The nations take notice when God's people are giving generously and showing the kind of hospitality that God calls us to. And tithing is the training ground for that kind of generosity. Tithing is the training ground for that sort of hospitality. Tithing is... The, the training ground for the sort of sacrificial giving that God calls us to and that will transform 
our society and that will be a light to the nations. Generosity, hospitality, sacrificial giving, these were some of the most important factors in the success of the Gospel in the centuries following the ministry of Christ. And it continues to be an essential part of the church's health and growth today. And so I would uh, encourage you and challenge you and go so far as to say that the only way we will see the nations bring their wealth into the new Jerusalem in worship as God has promised is if we will give faithfully and obediently as God has commanded. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You do not leave us in our sin, but that You you rebuke us, You convict us, You call us to repentance, and in Your mercy, You promise to bless us abundantly, to provide for us, to watch over us and protect us when we act in faith and obedience. Give us this vision for discipling the nations, for empowering Your church to carry out the mission to which You've called us by giving generously, by stewarding Your gifts faithfully for Your glory, for the good of our neighbor, and for the sake of the nations. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And we will pray together the litany that is printed in your bulletin. God the Father, robed in the glory of heaven. God the Son, Redeemer of the world. God the Holy Spirit, Lord and Giver of life. Be gracious to us. Give us Your grace and peace, triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our great God in heaven, from all sin, from all error, from all evil, from the crafts and assaults of the devil, from sudden and evil death, from deadly disease and famine, from war and bloodshed, from sedition and rebellion, from lightning and storms, from calamity by fire and water, and from everlasting death. Lord Christ, by the mystery of Your holy incarnation, by Your holy birth, by Your baptism, fasting, and temptation, by Your agony and bloody sweat, by Your cross and passion, by Your precious death and burial, by Your glorious resurrection and ascension, and by the coming of Your Holy Spirit, the Comforter. O Holy God in heaven, in all time of our tribulation, in all time of our prosperity, in the hour of death and in the day of judgment. We ask Your blessings, Lord, to rule and govern Your holy Catholic Church, to preserve all pastors and ministers of Your church in the true knowledge and understanding of Your infallible Word, and to sustain them in holy living, to put an end to all schisms and causes of offense, to bring into the way of truth all who have erred and are deceived, to beat down Satan under our feet, to send faithful laborers into Your harvest, and to accompany Your Word with Your grace and Spirit. 
We ask for Your grace, Lord, to raise those who fall and to strengthen those who stand and to comfort and help the weak-hearted and the distressed. We ask for Your mercy, Lord, to give all peoples unity and peace, to preserve our land from discord and strife, to give our country Your protection in every time of need, to direct and defend our nation and all in authority over us, to bless and protect our magistrates and all people, to watch over and help all who are in danger, necessity, and tribulation, to protect and guide all who travel, to grant every woman with child and all mothers with infant children increasing happiness in their blessings, to defend all orphans and widows and provide for them, to strengthen and keep all sick persons and young children, to free those in bondage, and to have mercy on us all. We ask for Your peace, Lord, to forgive our enemies, persecutors, and slanders, and to turn their hearts, to give and preserve for our use the kindly fruits of the earth, and graciously to hear our prayers. God, You are our Creator and Savior, our King and Sustainer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, give us Your comfort and peace, O Lord, Heavenly Father, through Your Spirit and in Your Son. O God, now hear us pray as Jesus taught us. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.